Hey friends, this is Andy Storch, and I'm excited to announce that we are bringing the Talent Development Think Tank Conference back on February 22nd and 23rd in Sonoma, California. Yes, you might remember we hosted this conference for the first time in January 2020, and it was a huge hit with everyone telling us it was the best conference they ever attended. And of course, we were looking forward to running it again in 2021 until the pandemic hit. That's when I launched the Talent Development Think Tank membership community, and that's been going strong since May of 2020. But I know how valuable it is to get people together in person, and that's why we are excited to be bringing the conference back again on February 22nd and 23rd in Sonoma, California. I'm committed to making this a highly engaging and interactive event where you can connect, learn, and grow together with other talent development professionals. This is going to be the best event out there in talent development, and I would love to see you there. If you want to find more information and get your tickets today, the website is tdtt.us conference. That's tdtt.us slash conference. I hope to see you there. Welcome to the Talent Development Hot Seat with your host, Andy Storch. The show is dedicated to helping you develop the most important part of your organization, the people. If you are in HR or talent development, or you just want to learn how to get the best out of your people, then you are in the right place. This podcast is designed to give you what you need to be successful in the world of talent development. Now, here's your host, Andy Storch. Welcome to the Talent Development Hot Seat. I am your host, Andy Storch, and I'm excited to welcome to the show today, Molly Nogler, who is the Chief Learning Officer at PepsiCo. Molly, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Andy. Thrilled to be here. I'm really excited to have you on. You have such a fascinating and interesting background and wealth, I think, of experience and knowledge coming from the world of academia, and then applying all of that um, back in the uh, you know the private working world, I guess you would say, at PepsiCo over the last year or so. And I'm excited to really dive into not only what you've learned and how you've applied those things there, but how you've pivoted and done things during COVID-19, the crisis, what learning looks like, your plans for afterwards, and I think we're going to talk about measurement as well. Before we do, we'd start with a little bit of an introduction and background on you. So tell us a little bit about who you are and how you got to where you are today. Thank you. So I've been Chief Learning Officer at Pepsi since February 2019. So a little over a year. And before that, my entire career was at universities. So I ran executive education at the Yale School of Management. And before that, I worked in customized exec ed at UC Berkeley's Haas School of Business. So I'm now the customer that I used to sell to in my old job switch teams. Yeah, that's really interesting. So I got to imagine that's really different. Can you tell me a little bit about, you know, what were kind of the starkest differences you had from moving from the academic world into a company like Pepsi? The main reason I wanted to move was because, you know, I love working in universities, but you never get to see the impact of learning over time because people come for a few days or a few weeks and then they leave. And so that's what I really enjoyed about being able to embed at PepsiCo in a single company and see the journey that the company has been on and starting PepsiCo universities maybe five years ago. And since then bringing new technologies in, we have a new learner experience platform called Degreed, which has just taken us to a whole new level in terms of you know, how learners are able to access and consume content in a really easy way. And so the big change was fast pace, honestly, like Pepsi and I'm sure other corporations move at just a much faster decision-making and execution pace than universities, much more action-oriented and more practical mindset. 
extremely consumer focused. It's a real delight to be here. Uh, that's really cool. You've also got, it's not just going from university into private company, but you also have the experience of being on kind of the consultative creative side of things like I am now as a, a vendor or partner, if you will, with organizations and then going in on the client side, the in-house side. What's something that you took with you from that that's been really useful from your time working on that side of things? Yeah. So even when I was in leadership positions at the universities, I always kept my hand in client account management and instructional design. And I did that because it's just a way to stay close to your customer and also have empathy with the team that you're managing and the challenges they may have with any given programs or companies. And so I still do that here. So I still consult with our business partners around the company and how to best achieve learning objectives and actually first and foremost, business objectives and whether a a learning intervention is even appropriate, you know, to achieve their objective. Maybe they just need a communications campaign or maybe they need to hire some new talent. And then, you know, once we decide that a, a learning program or intervention is needed, then I'll help design that too. Um, and more and more often it's in a virtual environment rather than a classroom. Yeah. And speaking of virtual, I mean, you mentioned uh, having a platform like Degreed and I want to get into how Pepsi has pivoted and handled a remote workforce. But before we get to that, I'd love for you to kind of paint the picture. What did the learning landscape look like at Pepsi before COVID-19? Before COVID-19, you know, we still had a lot of in-person programs. And I think that we saw in-person learning as the pinnacle and that online learning was something that you did if you couldn't join in person, right? Either for budgetary or, or time reasons. Although we had a lot of excellent online virtual resources. Um, it was just more of like, I think there was a subtle hierarchy in everyone's mind about the difference between in-person and online. And and now, of course, everything has been moved online and we're planning you know, to have likely no in-person learning for at least the next year, if not longer, because you got to think about when can people travel and when will they feel safe to travel? And when, what if the place that you're traveling to has an issue once everyone arrives. So our entire learning team in corporate is upskilling in online learning design and as well as all of our, the the distributed learning teams that are out in the business units. Yeah, I believe it. And last time you and I talked, we we chatted about that, how we were both dealing with that same thing where we had most of my business was in-person learning workshops and I've always been a big proponent of the power of bringing people together in person and have talked about doing more virtual stuff. And obviously that was all accelerated by COVID-19 where we said, hey, we've got to start doing things virtually now, especially as you and I record this in May of 2020. I feel like there's been a big shift in the corporate world from let's wait and see to, okay, this is where things are going to be for at least the rest of the year, if not longer. So we really need to start making things work virtually. If you work in talent development, you know that your job has become more important than ever. The problem is there's so much uncertainty and noise out in the business world, and things are changing so fast, it's hard to know where to go and what tools and resources to use to solve your problems. That's why I recently launched the Talent Development Think Tank community as a central and safe place to access information, ask questions, and talk with other L&D professionals like you so that you can achieve your goals and accelerate your career. 
Join today to get instant access to our online platform and community of ambitious, helpful talent development professionals who understand your world and can help you solve your problems. Right now, I'm offering 25% off the subscription price to podcast listeners. Just go to talentdevelopmentthinktank.com and use code HOTSEAT for 25% off. That's talentdevelopmentthinktank.com and use code HOTSEAT. Thanks, and on to the episode. Tell me a little bit more about what that pivot looked like once you kind of realized, hey, this is going to be like this for a while. It takes one really good experience in an online learning environment to help to make a tipping point where your learning professionals and your learners are like, wow, you pulled this off and this was a great experience. So we're right now pivoting our strategy masterclass. This is a multi-day in-person program for vice president level and above that we run a couple times a year at Pepsi. And we started off by saying, okay, we're going to postpone, we're going to postpone. And then we said, you know what? No, this is like the perfect opportunity to try to bring what's an elite and high end and super important program into an online environment. And, you know, the program sponsor came on board with that. And so that's, of course, vital. You know, you have to have your subject matter experts excited about the learning environment. And um, so now we're building it you know, at the, on an on a instructional platform and we're looking at you know, all the different types of technologies and how to keep it interactive and maintain the networking, which is very, very important. Kind of that's, that sharing of stories across the participants in the program. And, you know, it's looking great. We'll launch it um, later in June and that'll be, I feel like the tip of the iceberg where people will say, wow, like this is a real thing and we can do this. And, it'll catalyze a lot more online design. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Interesting. And and you've obviously taken a very thoughtful, strategic approach about this. You mentioned tools, and I was wondering if you've used any partners, any tools that you recommend, and how you've been able to enable the networking side of things, because that's definitely one piece that often gets lost when we convert some of this stuff to virtual. Yeah, there's stuff that we've used, and then there's things that I've experienced myself in programs. So I'm part of a professional development group at the Harvard School of Education, and they use a tool called Miro, which is a virtual um, visual online collaboration tool. And I was stunned by how useful and helpful that tool was when we, when we gathered last. And we normally do something in person where we, it's a brainstorming exercise with sticky notes. So we, we literally just replicated it in this online environment with Miro where you can literally write sticky notes and move them around. And it it was amazing. It just it was the exact same experience just online. And that was a literal translation, right, of an in-person to a virtual experience. You don't always, that doesn't always work well. Like sometimes you want to reimagine the entire program, not just translate it. In this case, it worked very, very nicely. And it also introduced all of us to a new technology we might not have known about and helped us understand which use cases benefit from a collaboration tool like that. And then at Pepsi, so we're taking that same approach. We're going to mix and match different technologies. I mean, Zoom works great for live delivery with the breakout rooms are priceless. That's where you get all the voices out. So one of the nice things about an online environment is I think people have get more talking time if you manage it properly. So in an in-person class, you might have a Q&A session at the very end. And, you know, you can only get three questions answered and people may have a lot of great ideas, but they just don't have time to get them out. And in an online environment, you've got the chat function, you've got the Q&A, 
You can send people into breakouts. You can have the instructor visit the breakouts and hear firsthand. And so there's almost more opportunity for FaceTime and for personalization in an online environment. Yeah. And to get questions answered, you know, I've been running some virtual programs and I hadn't really thought about that, but in every in-person environment, there are always, you know, there's different types of people everywhere, right? And there's always those people who are shy and don't really feel comfortable speaking up no matter what their question is. What if someone might judge me for it, that sort of thing. But it feels more comfortable, easier to drop something in a chat, you know, versus speaking up, raising your hand, raising your voice, that sort of thing. And so it makes it easier for people to to submit questions and then you can still, you have time to address all of those. That's exactly right. It's lower stakes. It feels like it's lower stakes. Mm -hmm. And something I learned from Priya Parker, who wrote The Art of Gathering, it's the book I really love, talked about the enforced equality of the box size in Zoom, where you're all the same size. So you don't, the stature, the physical stature that can get in the way in an in-person environment doesn't exist online, which I thought was a fascinating point. That's interesting. Hadn't thought about that too. I mean, just the way people show up in a physical environment, some people sit back confidently and take up a lot of space, right? Versus others that are a little more quiet and meek or whatever it may be. And that affects how they're seen in the room versus on Zoom. We all have the same size boxes or rectangles. Yeah, obviously we could have different environments around us or behind us influencing a little bit, but there could be less bias. It might be more equal. That's exactly right. Fantastic. Phenomenal. Okay. Interesting. So you've taken a lot of your learning to digital, virtual, leveraging a lot of different tools. I imagine as the chief learning officer, you've got to keep the business impact in mind. You've got to think about how do we connect this to strategy and to the business, you know, being in the strategic position you are. What did that look like before? And has that shifted at all where you're thinking about, okay, how do we connect learning to the business strategy so we make sure that it's an important part of where Pepsi is going? Yeah, that's a great question. So we've always been tied to the strategy in the sense that the capabilities that we train to are ones that are you know, selected, vetted, endorsed by the senior leaders in the company as the strategic capabilities that are going to take the company into the future. So we have a strategy, it's called Winning with Purpose. It has five or six strategic capabilities underneath it, things like end-to-end supply chain agility and omni-channel, point-of-choice excellence. These are mouthfuls, but they're super relevant to a consumer goods uh, company like PepsiCo. And so we have training agendas mapped to each of those. And so those sort of North Stars haven't changed during COVID, but what has changed is the role that learning can play during the crisis. And I I see that as, as two special roles. One is to capture and share stories at scale. So these are stories about learning we had a Q1 town hall for the entire company where different business leaders went around and talked about what they had learned um, up to this point in the crisis. And there were these amazing stories of agility and speed and flexibility and um, you know, people coming together from different functions and different teams would never work together before. Leadership coming from unexpected places, you know, this, the role of, of your title isn't as important when something really needs to get done. And so I've, challenge my team to come up with a series of case studies to really analyze these stories and present them back to the organization, disseminate them through the organization and with a learning lens to understand not, you know, how to manage the next COVID, but how to work in a cross-functional team and how to innovate under severe constraints. 
these are things that with a lot of shelf life that we're getting some great examples of now. Um, so that's the first role of learning during a crisis. The other one is to teach our employees how to learn from experience. So everyone is learning so much right now, and we don't want it to just disappear, you know, as into the ether as times change. And so we're looking at how to get the simple tools out for your next team meeting on like how to do an after action review. For example, that's from the military, how to use structured reflection processes. So this kind of builds on the long-term trend of moving from formal to informal learning. And when you think about what's durable, what new behaviors you're seeing during COVID that are durable and which ones are going to slip away. Um, I think the ones that you were seeing before in terms of accept, you know trends that are just now the, the crisis has accelerated, that those are the sorts of things that you're going to hold on to and that more opportunities for informal learning are, um, I think, here to stay. That's really cool. And when you, you know, you talk about moving from formal to informal learning, I would imagine before this, most learning was done formally, organized programs, that sort of thing. But it sounds like there's a lot more informal learning going on. You're encouraging everybody to say, you are learning from experience through all of this. How can you do more to teach and share some of those lessons, especially from mistakes made so that you can help other people and we can almost build kind of like a playbook for how do we handle things like this in the future? Exactly. And it's not that there used to be less informal learning. There's always been so much informal learning. It's just Mm -hmm. under the radar. And it's not something that learning professionals felt like was in their purview. We were here to provide all the formal learning opportunities. The informal stuff happens in due course. And what's changing and what I'm excited about and excited about leaning into is how can learning professionals create, can kind of steward the learning environment and steward and build a learning culture so that informal learning is captured. It happens more often. It gets captured. It's more valued and recognized from here on out. So it's probably going to be less about formal programs and more about perhaps communities of practice. That's something I'm excited about is how do we help communities of like-minded or like-experienced professionals to come together and work in a learning way, see their work as opportunities to learn rather than thinking about just sending people through formal programs. Yeah, absolutely. You mentioned when we talked before that you also encourage people to create case studies of the things that they're learning that they can share with others. I wonder if you could share an example of one of those. We're just starting that now. I mean, so in the past, so I mentioned the strategy masterclass that has several case studies in it of specific strategic decisions that the companies had to make over time, take an acquisition, for example, you know, how did we decide we needed to do that? Where was the gap in the portfolio? What's the analytical process? How does the decision-making go? What's the risk? you know, cost benefit analysis, and then how do you integrate that new team? And so we'll have the leaders come um, who are, you know, really part of the process and people love to hear those stories. And of course, it's the learning professional's job to draw out the transferable lessons, I guess, and the transferable skills, because, you know, we'll never go through that exact acquisition again. We already did it. So what's the point of talking about it? It's to learn how to do it better next time or learn about a scenario that might have similar elements that you can apply same sort of success tactics. You know, for COVID, we're looking into all these brand new scenarios that our company's going through. So in Ireland, they were, they have a process whereby they can produce kosher food by having a rabbi come all the way from London to certify the process. Well, obviously, you know, the rabbi couldn't do that. So they 
works with technology, you know, some sophisticated, some less so. I mean, Zoom was a huge part of this. And the rabbi was able to observe the process completely remotely. And there you go. So like, I mean, there's things that we never thought we could do that we're doing. And so, you know, my team's job is to say, how did that success come to be? Who had to work together in new ways to pull that off? And what did they learn? And how can you do it too? Yeah. Really interesting. Uh, yeah, there's so much learning that comes out of this, so much innovation, so much creativity to change processes and get things done and do a lot of things virtually that we never thought would be possible. I want to talk about what things look like after all this, but I'm also curious, you know, we talked about connecting things to the business. Generally, when you get really strategic and you talk about business impact, measurement is a big part of that as well. And I know it's something that you've spent a lot of time studying and working on. How do you look at measurement in the business and how do you go about measuring the success of these programs? Yeah, I'm working right now on a measurement strategy. It's got a, three components. One is to measure learning program outcomes. So, you know, you look at the learning objectives. This is for formal learning. And how do you know if it produced those outcomes. And so that's a combination of participant surveys, short-term and long-term. It's looking, you know, talking to managers, looking at career outcomes, at promotion, retention. So it's a lot of different data points that we're going to bring together and which, you know, we can do that by working across functions within HR and with our people analytics team. Those are really, it's going to be mainly correlations, right? Like you can't say that someone was promoted due to 20%, you know, 20% of that promotion was due to the leadership program that they went through the year before. Right. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's still valuable information. So that's one pillar. The other is learning activity. And this is, I'd say necessary, but not sufficient to talk like an economist to understand the impact of your learning agenda, because you don't know that they're internalizing something if they complete a course, but it's useful for drawing correlations. So do Things like when do people learn? Like if you get promoted, you know, are you, is that a time when you're looking for more learning? So what's the activity level like right after a promotion? And what does that mean for when we should be delivering learning, right? If that's an important moment of need. And then the third pillar is the learning environment. And so this gets back to the informal learning I was talking about. So there's a few components to the learning environment. One thing we're going to look at is drivers of learning culture. And we use the Watkins and Marsic model. It's called the Dimensions of the Learning Organization. It's from the 90s, but it's still as relevant as ever. And they have a diagnostic where they, you can measure the learning culture at your company. And it's things like, do people feel comfortable asking questions in meetings? Do, are people rewarded for learning? You know, is the knowledge that's captured, sorry, is the knowledge, or, you know, does Pepsi or does any company make its lessons learned available to others? And so we're picking a few of those every year to go after and drive and then measure before and after how we did. The other component of that is attitudes toward learning. So how are people feeling about the offerings? Are we targeting the right skills? Are, you know, do they perceive that learning is um, supporting success in their job? Is it a driving factor in their growth and development? You know, when I need to upskill, do I go to you know, the formal learning or the, do I go to the LXP, right? Do I go to Degreed when I need to learn something or do I Google it? What are the attitudes toward the usefulness? And then the other one is the the flip side of the coin, which is barriers to learning. So are we inadvertently discouraging people from learning by, say, having too many resources so they get choice fatigue? Or are we saying that learning is something that takes a lot of time and it has to be 
only formal learning matters here. And so therefore, people discount all the informal learning opportunities that they have. And how can we make people perceive that they have more time to learn? Because we did a little bit of research and found that time to learn is the number one barrier at Pepsi. And thankfully, we do seem to have a strong, supportive environment in terms of manager support for learning. Making time to learn. Yeah. I mean, like making time yeah. to learn, like them actually. Yeah. So yeah. yeah. This episode of the Talent Development Hot Seat is sponsored by Advantage Performance Group. Advantage is the first place to call when you need leaders to lead, sellers to sell, and your business to flourish. We specialize in connecting companies with exceptional learning solutions to help them turn strategy into action and get their people doing the best work of their lives. We're also providing tons of great content on a weekly basis. In fact, we recently launched a great webinar series that has been going on weekly with content such as creating a culture of multipliers, gender equity, Liz Weissman's webinar on helping rid the world of bad bosses. We have a new webinar from Brent Snow on decision-making. We have a webinar on multipliers and how to use multipliers during troubled times, calming the storm. We have a webinar from our partner, Julie Winkle Giulioni on developing in place how to continue your growth during remote working. And a webinar from Paul Middleton on the secret sauce for learning in the flow of work plus many more, just head to our website at advantageperformance.com. Click on free resources and you'll find the link to webinars and all of our other insights and resources there. Thanks for listening. And now back to the show. Getting support from managers is, I mean, I know from being in this world for a long time that part of the challenge is just getting people to actually sit down and make time to learn because they're in so often in reaction mode to all the things coming at them but then also having the support of their manager so that they're not going, hey, what are you wasting your time on? I need you to get this project done instead of why are you spending, you need to go spend some time exactly. investing in learning and so we're, you know, it's, for the future. It's a huge privilege at Pepsi to have a, a culture that supports learning, but that doesn't mean you don't have a long to-do list. There's an interesting study I found that shows psychologically, if we're pursuing two different goals that we feel like are in conflict, then we feel time constrained. So even if the goals have nothing to do with time, like the goal to be healthy and the goal to eat tasty food. I wonder if if employees in general feel like the goal to learn is in conflict with the goal to get their work done. And if we could somehow communicate that learning enables you to get your work done, and then they would feel like they had more time, even if I never interfere with their calendar at all. Yeah, it's like the old story of you know sharpening the axe from Stephen Covey many years ago, right? You just keep working and working and the other person's taking a rest. You think, oh, you're getting ahead, but they actually are sharpening the saw, learning, and it enables them to work faster, be more productive, maybe more engaged, happier in the long run. But a lot of people, it's hard to see that in the short run sometimes for yourself and as a manager. That's a great point. That's a great story too. Actually reference that in the book that I'm writing because I want people to you know, realize the importance of investing in learning because it does take time. Speaking of learning, you know, you've made this big pivot to learning under COVID-19. And I know you've also been starting to make a plan for what does it look like post-COVID-19? We may be able to start, you know, some companies are bringing people back to the office in different phases. Certainly, I am optimistic we will be getting together in person again for conferences and learning, right? But it may not be till 2021 or even farther into that year. So what are your thoughts and what kind of plans are you putting in place now for the future of learning at Pepsi? We are pivoting in a lot of in-person things to online, not as permanent substitutes, but as options. So options are good. 
and it may be that five years from now, do still want a choice between an online version and an in-person version. That's an investment worth making no matter what what happens. Um, the other is just to lean in, as I've said, to these informal learning opportunities and the learning communities of practice. You know, how can we help people work in a learning way? This is a research project from Harvard School of Education that shows a few certain behaviors in a conversation that promote learning. So things like sharing a provocative point of view and eliciting others' opinions promote learning. So, you know, can we have a communications campaign around that about, you know, you'll learn more if you just do these small conversational habits. And then bigger picture, we're wondering if the learning audience might change. I'm not just at Pepsi, but at everywhere. I mean, let's think about college students for a second. I read one article that 25% of currently enrolled college students aren't going to go back in the fall. Wow. So does that mean that they'll be looking for work opportunities or non-traditional internship opportunities? And could companies like Pepsi bring them on for a few months? And would that lead to a more formal partnership with universities to add vocational elements to the curriculum in the long term? So that there's more of a fluid relationship between universities and work rather than it's four years and then never again. Right. The working world or the companies could support the learning and it almost could be going back to an older days of kind of a, a longer term internship or uh, apprenticeship where you're kind of learning and also involved in doing the work and going back and forth. And since it's virtual, you don't even have to worry about going off to a campus and then a job in a different city. It can all be kind of done. Exactly in right. And, you know, it's, that's a great point about these things might happen virtually anyway, that you know, as the employee experience changes to be more virtual, as people are onboarded virtually, as they do interviews virtually, as their team meetings, I mean, you know, it's new kind of new opportunities to deliver learning nuggets, these different moments in your life. So one trend I've heard about is like now that we're all on, you know, say Microsoft Teams or Slack or Yammer, are those learning venues now? Like, should we be delivering small, bite-sized learning elements into the platforms that people are already in? at their day to day. Or what about just text messaging? Yeah. Right. Meet right. the learners where they are. That's the platforms right. they're using. That's how you communicate and That's deliver exactly learning right. to them. Yeah. Right? Catering to the learners. Yeah. I did a trends report last year of the top five trends in talent development based on interviews with, you know, dozens of guests before this and something I need to update, but uh, it is still available out there. If anybody wants to access it, advantageperformance.com slash trends. Uh, but one of them was, catering to the learner and how that's changed so much over the years from just one size fits all to let's provide learning and meet learners where they are. If they need classroom, if they're looking for micro videos, you know, like you said, text, Slack, whatever it may be, there's all these different modes and modalities now. So we don't want to ignore them. We want to figure out what's exactly. And I think this goes to the point of, you know, the holistic view of the employee. So meeting them where they are in their technologies, but also new topics that are suddenly permissible to, you know, to invest in from a learning perspective, like mental health and emotional well-being. You know, when you have two or three-day leadership program and you have that scarce real estate of just a few sessions, right, to pack all of your content into, things like, you know, meditation and well-being and all that might get, might wind up on the cutting room floor. Mm -hmm. But we see now that, you know, most mental and emotional health are very important to employee well-being and productivity. And that now that work and life have collided, why not continue to 
service the whole person going forward with new forms of expertise and sessions. Yeah, I was a big proponent of the, you know, not work-life balance, but work-life integration before, but it's more integrated now than it ever has been. I mean, you and I are both in our homes looking at each other while we record this interview, you know, doing work from home and kids coming in and all kinds of stuff that uh, just integrates all of it. Uh, And I think the, you know, I'm a big fan of meditation and mindfulness and health and wellness. And I think those things are more important, critical than ever, because there are so many different new added stresses and anxieties that can come up from the challenge of working from home with all the things going on, especially if you have kids and pets and you know, other things. Exactly. You take care so of. throughout this crisis, we've had a weekly webinar series on emotional and, and mental well-being and really got to explore new speakers that I hadn't ever had the chance to use before. So, you know, Tracy Brower, who writes for Forbes, is excellent on work-life fulfillment, as she calls it. We had a, a Zen Buddhist priest talk about grief. And that's just something, at least, you know, in the U.S., we don't like to talk about that. And in other cultures, they're much better about it. It was definitely a bold, bold move. And I think it was incredibly necessary. That's awesome. Well, I'm glad to hear that and, and glad to hear it's paying off. And I know more organizations are also providing mindfulness apps like Calm and Headspace and things like that as well. I'm a big fan of those. Let's shift gears, Molly. I want to talk about you and ask you, what's been your greatest accomplishment or proudest moment in your career so far? Oh, gosh. I think it's been just my ability to to change. So my ability to, you know, my first job after college was as a copy editor for international development reports at the World Bank. And then I went to graduate school and I became, you know, a higher ed administrator and, and moved into executive education. And from there, you know, never, this is my first corporate job at Pepsi. And, you know, I'm 43. Like it's, that was a huge change. And it's, it's such a growth opportunity. It's so hard to make big changes like that. Um, I have, or I did have a very long commute. Now I, I commute downstairs, in my kids' former playroom. <laughs> yeah. But, nice. you know, all these, the lifestyle changes that it requires. And, but, you know, it's so rewarding that just people are people. Like human nature pervades everything. It doesn't matter if you work in the government or the, the private sector. Or, that's the red thread. But if you're, you know, if you have some emotional intelligence, if you're, if you have some social skills and some soft skills, you can, you can adapt to any environment. And that's been very rewarding. Yeah. Being willing to adapt and change and uh, first corporate job at 43, but breaking in as chief learning officer, that's a, that's a great place to start. And I didn't know you started as a copy editor. You know, I'm working on a book right now. I'm at <laughs> sure, the I'm happy to. later this year. I don't know if I should be scared to, or, um, but actually just, just promise me you'll use the Oxford comma. I will promise you I'll use the Oxford comma. <laughs> I actually just, um, as we record this, I finished just finished writing and reviewing the first draft and handed it to my wife, who is a former journalist. And hopefully she's not going to tear it apart. So we'll see what happens. Uh, but anyway, I digress. So we talked about your greatest accomplishment. What has been uh, one of your biggest failures or mistakes? And what did you learn from it in your career? I think the mistakes are often... I think I've learned, you know, the value of go slow to go fast. So when you start a new job or you just maybe as a personality quirk, you know, people have like contribution anxiety where it's like, I need to get something done. I need to accomplish something. I need an early win. You hear a lot about yep. the value of that. I can relate. Yeah. You know, something I learned from experience, but also the book on um, the first 90 days, yep. which I loved I and used that. when I came to Pepsi is that don't like absolve yourself of the pressure to accomplish big things quickly in a new environment because 
you really have to get to know the culture and you have to get to know the people. Who's powerful? Who's not? I can't tell you the number of times I thought that I had aligned everybody only to find out I hadn't. And you never, sometimes you just don't know until like you step in it. Right. And so there's, I think it's such a delicate balance between focus and get things done fast, which is absolutely appropriately one of the values at Pepsi and taking the time to understand the situation in full and the perspectives, do some really good perspective taking and make people feel heard and understood um, before you know, you put your foot on the gas and you'll be a lot yeah, more successful. Yeah, absolutely. I can relate to that. I remember before I doing what I do now, I mentioned the other day, I used to work for this consulting company called BTS, which has a strong culture and a pretty steep learning curve to get in to be a successful consultant. After I was there for a while mentoring younger consultants, the biggest piece of advice I always gave was that, you know, you're going to start and being everybody you, we hire is very ambitious, right? And wants to be really successful and valuable. You're going to feel like, like you really need to contribute. You're going to be frustrated because you feel like you're not contributing. But you, at the same time, you have no idea what's going on. So you need to just take time to slow down and just embrace it and learn. Even though you see everyone else around you working really hard and doing a lot of stuff, you feel like you obligated you should too. But you've got to take this, this time to learn before you end up in a position later where you're actually responsible for delivering on you know, some type of projects, whatever it may be. Yeah. And you know, I think there's a new twist on it during the work at home phase where you've lost the signals that you get in the workplace of where you stand. And I was talking to my boss about this and explaining that, you know, I, I just was feeling like a little bit ill at ease. And he said, you know, everyone feels that way. Like the feedback loops are broken. The people you used to see in the office and would, how would they treat you and how would you treat them? And those are gone. And so you just have lost. It's like, you know, animals like use echolocation. That's what I think of it. Yeah. As, you know, you, you do things and you get responses, you get signals back. And a lot of that's broken now. And so it's unmooring in a way. Yeah. Behavior was more observable, right? You could be like, well, you know, Molly hasn't quite been delivering, but it on the projects, but it seems like she's been a little out of it lately. You know, maybe we should talk to her versus just out of sight, out of mind. I don't know what's going on. Yeah. And how do I know if I'm doing a good job? Like, how do I know if I'm doing a bad job? I, the interactions you have with people are more transitory and almost more transactional because you just, you're on Zoom and then yeah. you're off Zoom. That's why I've been talking about this on the podcast. When we move to this working remote world, communication is so important. You just can't communicate enough, right? You can't be transparent enough in having those conversations and asking people what's going on and showing empathy and asking questions because otherwise people start to make assumptions and mistakes happen. So just really important. Yeah, exactly. Like with my team, we have virtual coffee chats for half an hour every day. And that's great for us. You know, there's lots of other teams that I, you, know, you can't have virtual coffee chats for 30 minutes a day with every possible right. stakeholder. So you just, you can't replace that environment. You know, we have to learn to navigate. More no doubt. Uh, Molly, what's the biggest trend in talent development that you're following right now? I am following the gradual and maybe picking up speed move from uh, well-defined roles into less defined roles or just more time spent in projects and project teams that may switch rather than a permanent home with a single team. I think that's very interesting. I think it was a trend before COVID and it's accelerated during COVID as we have things that we've never had to accomplish before and they require cross-functional teams to get done. And we've seen so many examples of that at Pepsi in my own work 
and then stories from around the organization. I wonder what that will mean for learning. Should we be delivering, you know, to the extent we have formal programs, should these be delivered to these cross-functional teams to help them work better together rather than say like all the directors in the company or all the, you know, level sevens. So rather than using those kind of HR slices, use the team as an intact unit to consume learning. And then I had mentioned communities of practice before. If we break people's affiliation with a permanent work group, what does that do to their identity at work and their psychological well-being about having a a permanent home in the office and and a work identity? And I wonder if communities of practice can stand in there where you say like, okay, I'm not, you know, necessarily like, I'm not always in the team that works on branding for Lay's potato chip, but I'm always a marketer. And so I'm now part of this marketing community of practice and I have more interactions with my peers across business units than I did before. And that's my home now, even though I move around in other projects. If you're looking for a place to connect with colleagues and peers from your industry and find out what other people in talent development are working on, you need to check out the brand new Talent Development Think Tank membership community. Inside, we have members from companies all over the world who are working on all different things in talent development and sharing what's been working, what's been not working, and answering each other's questions so we can all get our jobs done more effectively and be more successful in our careers. If you'd like to join us, we'd love to have you. Just head on over to tdtt.us slash community, and you can use code HOTSEAT for 25% off your subscription. That's tdtt.us slash community and use code HOTSEAT for a limited time for 25% off your subscription. If you have any questions, reach out to me and let me know and we'll see you there. I'm fascinated by this move into, you know, you call it the future of work or some call it a gig economy, whatever it may be. A lot of times people talk about the gig economy. They talk about more people out there being independent consultants like me, but I think inside of large companies, you're going to see it with people doing more project-based work than sticking with one job or one role for many years. That's something I've been thinking about, talking about for a long time. And it's an interesting question about what happens to their identity when you're not part of a group for a long term. But I think it also creates more obligation, more need to create your own personal brand, personal identity, so that people recognize you for the type of work you do. And you can get those different projects, different gigs. And that's something I'm excited to explore and help more people with in the future because it is it's going to keep changing. We want to be prepared for it. Exactly. And, and you know, companies are going to need the right technologies to have an enterprise view of all mm-hmm. the skills in the company. Yeah. If I need to staff a project team, how do I do it? Who's available to me? Who has time? Who has mm-hmm. the right skill set? Who's in the right geography, background, that, that yeah. sort of thing? That's going to be a new frontier. Yeah. Very, very see Learn more from the, uh, the big professional services firms and how they staff these projects, right? And putting people yeah. together, EY, KPMG, Deloitte, even BTS, where I came from, things like that, uh, where you're always like piecing project teams together to staff projects. Interesting. Uh, Molly, you've already mentioned a couple books. Is there any other that you highly recommend or has made a big impact on your career? Well, I can just tell you what I'm okay. reading now. I'll take that too. Which is called... Superminds. This is by a professor at MIT, Thomas W. Malone. The subtitle is The Surprising Power of People and Computers Thinking Together. 
So I like the school of thought in which AI is not going to steal all the jobs. It will create new jobs and it will just augment human capability. And if we take that perspective, how do we set ourselves up for the best working relationships with machines? What is the future of human-machine interaction? And what would that mean for learning? Of course, you're reading a giant book from an MIT professor. I shouldn't be surprised about that. (laughs) That's awesome. Well, I read five books, That's That's good. I read all kinds as well. Molly, last question for anybody listening in talent development, learning, HR, you know, anywhere, corporate world, looking for ways to accelerate their career. What's one more piece of advice you would give? I think industry associations are priceless. I mean, places where you can go and meet people from other companies and understand how other professionals think is very, very valuable. Organizations like your home, whoever your employer is at the moment, really likely probably values that sort of benchmarking and understanding external trends. We always like to locate ourselves in understanding with with, with where others are. You know, now that all these conferences are virtual, and so go to a bunch of them, like just go, you know, you never could have maybe gone to Vegas seven times a year for the other conferences, but you can certainly log in to Zoom and hear some cool speakers. So there's tons of new access. I think there's just learning and is more accessible yeah, than ever. Yeah, you're right. I mean, I love going to conferences and meeting people in person. You know, there's only so much time, money you can spend, whatever it may be. It's a more accessible to get to these virtual conferences. I actually spoke in a virtual conference this morning that had 400 people. I was swinging my kids in the backyard. I went and spoke at the conference and then I was off Zoom and then on to the next thing. It was just much more convenient. I actually stayed for a couple more sessions because they were really good but it was very tra- no travel, all that stuff made it easy. And that's why I'm starting to organize more of those things as well, because I want to provide more of those resources because I know how valuable they are. So I appreciate you saying that. Molly, this has been fantastic. Thank you so much for coming on and spending time with us today and you know sharing some of your knowledge, wisdom, experience, point of view. It's been valuable for me and I know it has been for our listeners as well. So thanks again for coming on the Talent Development Hot Seat. Well, I've been honored to be here. Thank you for having me. And if anyone wants to keep in touch, I'm at Molly Nogler, all one word, at, at Twitter. So Ooh. I'd love to keep in touch with anyone who's listening. Twitter. All right. We'll throw that in the chat. I know you're on LinkedIn as well. So thanks again. Thank you, Andy. Thanks again for listening to the Talent Development Hot Seat. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to leave us a rating and review on iTunes to help other people find the show. And as always, you can find all of our episodes and tons of free resources on our website, talentdevelopmenthotseat.com. Thank you again and take care.